The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Welcome to Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor for the magazine. Today I'm joined by Blaine Strickland, CCIM, a 40-year veteran of commercial real estate who has seemingly done it all in the industry. From broker, manager, and consultant to CCIM instructor, coach, and author. Blaine, welcome to Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Thanks, Nick. It's great to be here with you. Uh, You recently published ADAPT, a book that states disruption is coming to real estate and asks if we're ready for it. Uh, It's funny timing for publishing a book like this that discusses disruption, specifically in real estate. And uh, you've been clear in saying that ADAPT isn't directly applicable to something like COVID-19. But as a thought leader in industry, do you see opportunities in our current reality? And, And really, how are the most effective brokers handling this situation? Yeah, great question. It's been a little bit fun for me because I published a book with the word disruption in the title. The book was formally published on March 18th, which was really the about the launch day for the quarantine program. And so people turned to me and said, wow, how did you plan that? Uh, how did you plan a world pandemic with your launch of your book? <laughs> and so th- that's a sort of a chuckle, as, as you and I have talked about off offline. Uh, when I talk about disruption in the book Adapt, I'm referring to factors that I think are unique to commercial real estate brokerage. So I make it clear in the introduction that, uh, hey, uh, uh, g- global pandemics and, and the onset of technology in general are uh, absolutely disruptors, but they'll be disruptors for all of us as has now been proven. Uh, what I try to think about, what I tried to think about in the book was uh factors that I felt would be unique to commercial real estate. Um, But I obviously have been asked many times about um, the situation that we're in. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us tired very rapidly of the uh, the webinars about how to collect rent and what force majeure really means. And so what I find now is that the brokers that are um, the most productive, what I would call the best practices, those brokers have taken an interesting they've taken an interesting tack in my opinion, and I would describe it roughly as this, which is they've said, okay, this great quarantine, this quarantine moment is going to be, let's say at least 90 days long. And we're, as of this recording, maybe 30 days into that, and then maybe 60 more days to go. And so what they've done is said, wow, if I'm going to be quarantined for 90 days, what kinds of things would I like to have done by the time that 90 day period is up? And mm-hmm. I find that to be a really interesting perspective because it it really enables you to start to say, well, if this is where I want to be in 90 days, what what activity do I undertake today in order to make sure that I reach that goal in 90 days? Where where a lesser um, a person with a lesser perspective or maybe less vision would simply say, hey, I'm just trying to fight through the day. I'm just trying to find something to do. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm exercising more. I'm, I'm trying to get a more sleep. I'm trying to read. And those are all valuable uh, activities. What's really interesting is when you think about, wow, a once in a lifetime period where the world sort of comes to a stop, which enables you to truly work on some of these projects that you've always wanted to work on. Uh, 
uh, as Stephen Covey would call them, those quadrant two activities. Quadrant two is important but not urgent that never quite seem to make it to the top of the list when all systems are go. So the really, um, I think, powerful, effective brokers are uh, not only just getting something done, but getting something specific done during this time frame. Having this much uh, free time on our hands, we always, you know, have uh, aspirations for self-improvement, but it sounds like you're advocating for for self-improvement and professional improvement. Yeah, I think um, all of us can um, eat better, exercise, spend more time with family, and those have tremendous benefits, and I don't downplay those benefits. Mm -hmm. But as an example, um, as I wander the planet and talk to brokers, most of them are sort of moderately happy with their database, as an example. So if you knew that you had 90 days uh, to improve your database, and I said, well, what would improvement look like? And you said, well, I was able to make my database more accurate, or I was able to expand the information I have on the contacts that are in my database, or I was able to add more contacts. And I said, well, what would that look like? How would you have to go about that? And it's like, well, that would take a couple of hours of research every day. And I said, so if you had a thousand more contacts or you had 50% greater accuracy, would you be happy? Oh my gosh, I'd be wildly happy. Well, when you phrase it like that, then you can begin to work on it like that, which is, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scour my database and I'm going to comb through 100 names per day. Then I eliminate the uh, duplicates. I can see that I have old email addresses. I can, uh, that guy's not, he's not located there anymore. And so then you find the new information. Well, what happens then is 90 days later, mm-hmm. when the quarantine is over, you're like, wow, I've got a new and improved, um, I've got a new and improved uh, vehicle here. I've got a tool that's going to be really powerful for me. And so uh, to your phrase, if, if you know, that's not only getting things done in your life, but also making professional improvements or really investing in improvements that will make you more powerful when we get back to work. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice, I think, about making the most out of the time that we have. And um, to some of the points addressed in, in ADAPT, um, you mentioned how we use professional services has changed, uh, partly because of the gig economy and the growth of some of capable freelancers. Uh, what benefits can real estate professionals realize from this kind of disruption in business as usual? And, and what must the industry avoid doing uh, to go the way of travel agents, as you put it in the book? Well, those are those are two sort of separate questions in a way. Let me um, address them individually, and then I'll pull them back together, Nick. The the first question about the gig economy is that probably all of us have started to um, experience the gig economy. As an example, um, I improved my home office, so I go to IKEA and I find this perfect little bookcase. In fact, I buy three units of the same bookcase. And those bookcases have to be assembled and then attached together and then attached to the wall. And so, as you know, all of us know from Ikea, the good news is the parts are perfectly labeled and perfectly bound. Mm -hmm. Uh, The hard part is trying to follow those instructions. And so right in the box, it says, hey, Ikea recommends TaskRabbit. So I click on TaskRabbit. I'm like, well, I've never done this before. And, you know, five days later, I've got a guy who's assembled this same product five or six times, comes over to my house, has all the tools, and um, I help them a little bit just to make myself feel better. But it was sort of marvelous to step back and watch this guy work. And, uh, and I'm like, wow, um, 
I forget what I paid, maybe $300 for him to spend, you know, maybe six hours assembling it. Mm -hmm. But it was so fantastic that I was like, oh my gosh, I would gladly pay $300 to have it done so well. He had all the tools, tools that I don't have, tools that I don't know how to use. I was like, man, that's something. And so when that, when you expand that and you go to um, sites like Upwork, as an example, Upwork has something like 12 million registered freelancers. And so today, um, any of us, and particularly, let's say, commercial real estate brokers or players can go to Upwork and buy very high quality services at a very reasonable rate. So you can read all about the person, you can see the number of stars that they've accumulated by past recommendations, you can see the kind of work that they've done, you can ask them questions, you can have three people start on the task at the same time and pick the best one. And so imagine a world in which commercial real estate brokers could buy very high quality services on a completely a la carte basis. Five years ago, the way that worked is you would say something to your agency manager or the person in charge of marketing like, hey, do you think we could do a little better job with a map? Or, you know, I would love to create something where we have logos of five companies. Or I was thinking that maybe what we could do is create a two-page uh, flyer or brochure or folder. And it would be like, yeah, that's a great idea. And as soon as I get to that, of course, which would often never happen, or they would be so pressed that now what happens is that you can turn to the outside world and, and get exactly what you want. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to develop a website, let's say for every single property that you managed, that could be done uh, extremely effectively and very cost efficiently. And so um, it's really been quite exciting from that standpoint. Now what's happened is that the next phase has arrived, which is that if you were to go to Upwork and type in, I need a lease abstract, you would get um, probably 20 uh, freelancers that would respond to your the to the job that you posted. Remember that the way these things generally work is that you can uh, post keywords and people that supply those words look for those keywords. And so if a keyword is entered, then it pops up on their screen and goes, hey, John Smith just entered a project that has this keyword in it. You might want to check it out. Simultaneously, you can go, are there any freelancers that know how to do lease abstracts? And anybody who put lease abstract in their profile, mm -hmm. that pops up. So you can kind of get a shape of this thing before you ever um, get started. I began to muse whether in the future, I might be an agent here. I live in uh, Orlando, as an example, and I might be here working on uh, commission assignments here in a local brokerage, but I might develop a talent uh, or a skill that I'm willing to ply on uh, on Upwork, let's say. And what if I told you, hey, Nick, uh, I earned $25,000 last year in hourly paid work as a lease abstractor. Wow, that's never happened before. In fact, uh, what a great benefit that would be if you were on Upwork during this downturn. Mm -hmm. um, you know, wow, it'd be like a second source of income. So for people who move in and out of the workforce or in and out of the arena, maybe there's a baby, maybe there's a family situation, maybe there's a slow start, maybe the market is up or down. It really provides a whole new arena of, of ability to buy and offer services. Mm -hmm. Now, when you compare that to what happened to the uh, airline industry, um, the, the, I'm sorry, to the travel agents, then... Um, <laughs> If you're old enough, you remember that the only way you could get a plane ticket back in the 80s was to call the travel agent. And typically she would do research and then and she would call you on the phone and explain it to you and you would say what you want. And then a couple of days later, a courier would bring you your paper drawn ticket. And so um, 
when the when transparency set in and uh, the customers began to see that information, make their own arrangements. Um, the travel agents, for the most part, lost a major portion of sort of their value proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, now that could happen in our world. What happens if the client goes, uh, "I really don't need the uh, agent to abstract my lease anymore, or conduct, uh, create a map of uh, all the opportunities that I have?" And so, is it possible that the gig economy will be the tool by which transparency seeps into our world. And as transparency seeps in, will that change our value proposition, which is what happened to the, to the travel agents. Now, the travel agents aren't gone. They're, there's half as many as there used to be. And the ones that remain have typically very specialized services. Some of them are very focused on corporate some of them are very experientially focused. In other words, they go with you. <laughs> they meet you there and travel with you and your family. Or they become a very specialized niche and they arrange dive trips or they arrange um, prominent speakers to be on your cruise while you go on that cruise with, with your select group of friends or associates in a certain arena. So it's very possible that the gig economy will be sort of the tip of the spear, the wedge that brings greater transparency into our arena and therefore makes us look differently. That's sort of a two-sided coin because it could be that many of us will earn fees out of the gig economy that we just wouldn't have been able to earn several years ago. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do you think in broad terms, the industry is as a whole aware of this as a potential impact or um, is it, is it, Oh, they looked at kind of is the gig economy is the upwork looked at something outside of commercial real estate right now? Well, um, I think the early players in the upwork arena would tell you that the first freelancers were primarily technical software type guys. So that if you wanted some kind of programming event, um, that that's where you would look. I was reading an article just this morning saying that many programmers, coders are volunteering their services because all of these communities and agencies are trying to figure what are the statistics related to the viruses, et cetera. Um, but, but if you wanted that service, now they're all in the same arena. It's very, very um, convenient. Um, I make the, I, there's, a, there's a table in um, ADAPT in which I show several re- commercial real estate searches that I, that, I offered, that I punched into Upwork and then how many people replied and what the hourly rates of were those people. Mm-hmm. And so um, whether you're aware of it or not, it's already here and it's a growing it's a growing factor. Um, you would do yourself a great, great service to begin to understand how some of these things work. Um, whether you're an offensive or a defensive player, if you're, if you're a defensive player, it's like, what a great place to uh, get services. If you're an offensive player, you may want to say, gosh, I could do that. Um, what's very interesting is that there could easily be commercial real estate brokers, as an example, that have skills outside the arena. And what happens when you have two lives, one is a commercial real estate player, and your second life as teaching music or teaching Russian or mentoring in chess. <laughs> and you could do that on a scheduled monetary basis. Like, wow, it's a pretty it's a pretty startling concept. Yeah, you also mentioned online auctions as a potentially disruptive force, uh, or perhaps one that has already arrived in commercial real estate. Uh, can you speak to the opportunities that arise with with changing technology and and these new business practices? 
you know, I've been in the business a long, long time. And if you'd have said auction to me 10 years ago, I would have said, yeah, there's, there's auctions. Most of the auctions are either estate sale auctions where they, you know, everybody visits the estate one day and then they hold the auction the next. And maybe the real estate gets auctioned in addition to the dining room table in the China. And then, of course, we've seen big equipment auctions. We've seen art auctions. We've seen uh, banks that had uh, REOs, real estate owned properties that they took back. They've auctioned those in some form or fashion, but it's been pretty limited. Then um, in 2012, I watched two brokers use the 10X platform and uh, sell uh, a, re- um, a neighborhood shopping center. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, what? <laughs> I've never seen that. How How can that be? Because the real estate is not distressed. It is complicated. There are many tenants. Um, there are, there's vacant space. You know, it's a complex, it's a com- complex animal. And yet they pulled it off. And so that is when I first became really aware of the online auction, which was really uh, thrust forward by 10x. And in the early days, the people that were primarily using 10x were the special servicers. So in other words, the lenders took the real estate back and then they employed special servicers to uh, dispose of all this real estate because a typical bank doesn't it has loan officers and it has a very small staff associated with real estate that they have to take back and own. They want to move that away from themselves as quickly as possible. And if they have a lot of it, because we had such a big downturn, they hired special servicers. Well, these special servicers were given the orders, get this stuff out of here. And, you know, one of them told me, we sell it by the pound. We what we need more than anything else is certainty. We need to know that on this day, that property will be gone It'll be out of the portfolio and in the hands of a private investment entity. And that's more important to us than the price. The certainty is what is so important. Well, that's what the auction does because the whole world knows that on May 13th, the auction is going to occur. Here's everything you need to know about the property. Um, And um, the auction will occur over a two-hour period. All in order to be a bidder at the auction, you have to qualify in advance, Mm -hmm. go through the process of being certified as a buyer. So if you're a seller and you need certainty, it's pretty darn exciting to think, wow, it's 1.30 in the afternoon. And by 5.30 this afternoon, my property will be under contract and close within 30 days. So the first few years, 2012, 2013, 2014, were really uh, 10X was... um, selling these properties that were essentially distressed. They were sold, you know, in bulk, if you will, by the pound, Uh, lots of sales in every auction. Since then, as those distressed properties have waned, then it has become a more valuable and legitimate uh, sales strategy for uh, brokers to use on an everyday basis. But I had an interesting discussion. What would happen if the quarantine effect lasted another six months the tenants really did not pay much rent. The the property owners then could not make their payments to the lenders. And all of a sudden, it's like a stranglehold. Mm-hmm. The tenants aren't paying. So therefore, the landlords aren't paying. The banks definitely do not want to take a bunch of real estate back at the same time. And you could see a situation evolve where the players, primarily the landlords and the lenders, would want that certainty like, hey, guess what? We're back in a moment where certainty becomes extremely important. And so um, the borrower, the 
the owner of the property, the borrower is sort of stuck. They're like, hey, we, we haven't made payments in six months because the tenants haven't paid. The lender's like, hey, we have no choice but to declare you in default, but we don't want to take it back. Let's work together. Let's put the property in a commercial auction. Let's have this thing done with in 30 days. And you can see that these kind of economic swings could really cause this to be a valuable, a very valuable channel. And um, 10 years ago, it didn't seem possible. And now it's completely viable. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when, when, uh, when the emphasis on certainty uh, increases, it, it something like this makes, makes a lot more sense all of a sudden. By the way, part of the proof that it's viable is now, is now other platforms are offering auction. I was in conversation with the Crexie people recently. Uh, Crexie is a, is a property, a commercial real estate oriented property listing uh, tool primarily. It exposes properties to the market for you. And they have what might be considered a traditional method, which is, hey, here's the property. You click here, learn everything about the property and then contact the broker mm -hmm. uh, and, and make an offer if that's what you want to do. But Crexie also has an auction channel now. And so um, it doesn't take long to begin to muse whether, wow, wouldn't it be interesting if eBay turned its attention to this since they're big auction folks would it be really all that strange for them to look over and go, you know, wouldn't it be fun instead of auctioning $80 sunglasses that we started auctioning $8 million hotels? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a possibility you could see play out. Um, and, and along those lines, a lot of the talk um, about Amazon, another major player these days that, that we've all heard that name. Uh, Amazon in commercial real estate centers around its impact on warehousing, the supply chain, and those other kind of ground level changes. Um, but you see Amazon as a potential major player in commercial real estate. Uh, first of all, how would you envision Amazon becoming a major force in commercial real estate? And what should our listeners keep an eye out for in such a scenario playing out? Well, they're not a potential player. They are the player. They've got probably, uh, if you look at their most recent um, 10K, um, you'll see that they control something like 280 million square feet around the world of mm -hmm. warehouse and office space, some retail, um, about 200 million of that is in the United States. So just try to think about 200 million square feet of space. Um, if you like, think of it as 2 million square feet in a hundred major cities around America. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't take long to go, wow, <laughs> they're kind of, uh, bigger than we thought. And I'm here in central Florida they are building um, these distribution warehouses like crazy. Um, you are obviously familiar with Amazon Prime. And where I live, the zip code where I live is now in a category called Amazon Prime Now, which means there are a huge number of products that I can click the button on and have at my house within two hours. Hmm. So think what that means. They've gone from giant warehouses into smaller neighborhood warehouses, and then they're using their algorithms to know that Blaine's probably going to order milk, contact solution, and copy paper. And all of a sudden, it, they knock on my door in, in two hours. Um, it's, been, it's been fascinating to watch that. And of course, then the whole uh, acquisition of Whole Foods has been really fascinating. But if you, if you simply say, okay, they're, they're a huge player, we got that. It begins, kind of, it begins to be interesting when you start to think about, well, what would happen as an example if they decided, you know, we're going to we're going to have a beauty pageant and award the property and facility management of all of our properties to one of the big players and it would have to be one of the big players because they're so big and so spread out so 
the local ABC Realty is not going to be able to compete in that. And about halfway through that little beauty pageant, they go, well, why would we award this to one of the giants? Why don't we just buy one of the giants? And it, <laughs> it's not that far-fetched. Um, they have the money to do it. They have the, um, you know, they have the mindset to do it. Um, Bezos is the richest guy in the world, even after the divorce. Bezos is the 28th largest landowner in the United States. The guy owns land in three or four places where he could create a city. Um, and so um, they're just a very interesting uh, animal to watch. Now, you can, you can see as an example that they have teamed up with some of the residential real estate brokerage firms and said, uh, we're going to try to figure out a, uh, some kind of alliance with you. And how about we do this? If the customer, the, the, the player on the street, the buyer of the home, will agree to work with you, we will award them a $100,000, $5,000 uh, Amazon gift card mm-hmm. um, for working with you. And, and when, the, when, the, when the sale closes, then you will earn a commission and we will award the gift card. And so that becomes pretty compelling is to think, wow, I would be getting sort of a thousand dollar gift from my broker who represents me. That seems pretty compelling. Well, Mm -hmm. that's just, you can feel that's just a little tiny toehold as to how they might begin to enter in, um, into our world. And it's just fascinating to think about what this, what this giant behemoth user of real estate might do. There's one final factor that, comes into play, which is almost mind-boggling, which is that when Amazon conducted their HQ2 uh, sweepstakes, which remember was we need a home somewhere in America outside of Silicon Valley, I'm sorry, out, out, yeah, outside of, um, of uh, Seattle, where we could uh, house 50,000 people. And so that's a giant commercial real estate need right there. I mean, 50,000 people is you know, depending on the density, that's a lot of square footage that could easily be 10 million square feet. So they, they produce the ROI, I'm sorry, the um, RFP, the request for proposal, 238 cities respond to this very detailed request. Amazon takes all that information in. So now think about it. Amazon has the complete profile of 238 cities. Now these profiles are, were prepared aggressively by these cities. I've looked at what was prepared for Orlando as an example, and I never knew all these things about Orlando. <laughs> I didn't know they had those kind of saved up benefits. So now you've got this very large user who's also maybe the most knowledgeable user. Yeah, and yeah. when you start thinking about, man, if they, ever, if they ever tried to leverage everything they knew, because they would literally be able to look you in the eye and go, no, 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 no. We know mm-hmm. you have 200 acres that you could give us for free. And they're like, ah, man, maybe not. And they're like, okay, <laughs> that's fine. We'll just get it from Austin, Texas, because we know they have it too. So it's just really, really interesting to think about what could transpire there. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly heady stuff when you're talking about 280 million uh, square feet and, and 50,000 people relocating somewhere. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, kind of moving, moving away to, to more broader topics. Um, as a CCIM instructor, um, what skill sets would you recommend for CRE professionals to either brush up on right now or to even um, start learning to best position themselves to, uh, to be ready to hit the ground running once, once this, uh, these stay-at-home orders are lifted? Well, if I, if I keep my CCIM hat on, I will never fail to do a 
commercial for site to do business. Um, I teach 101 and 103, um, as the CCIMs will know, CI 102 is the market analysis class and the class that many people think that, uh, oh, that's where I'm going to learn about STDB. Um, uh, I always talk about it in 101, my 101 and 103 classes as well. I would just simply say this. Um, I'm an old guy. Um, there's most of the industry is younger than me, but I enjoy um, creating um, studies, maps, visualizations for my clients. Um, of course, most of my clients are coaching clients. So what I'm doing is saying, hey, let me show you something that would cause you to be more valuable to your clients who pay you money. And I have just been continually impressed with the information that uh, can now be uh, converted, transformed into a visualization. Um, when I started many, many years ago, if you were a real estate director, you would come to town and go, Blaine, uh, let's get in the car and do a windshield tour. And we would drive around. We'd spend the whole day driving around. You go, I like this part of town. You know, well, this, these houses are real nice. They, they, these yeah. are well kept up. These people can afford, uh, you know, our product. And that's the way we did it. Um, now you can paint such an unbelievable story with the layers of data that um, if you're not doing that, you will soon be surpassed because it's, it's far beyond the best practice. There is a group of people who have learned how to use it and they are pressing that advantage. And um, if you're not using it, you're, you're missing a huge benefit, first of all, for, for what you pay for. And then secondly, it's really the state of the art. Mm-hmm. But if I use a broader hat, Nick, what I would tell you is that the future <clears throat> is in what's being called predictive analytics. Um, all of us are exposed to algorithms every day. Um, if you like this book, then you will like this book. If you like this movie, you will like this movie. Um, if you um, if you buy this kind, this brand of X, you will likely like this brand. And so the great the the great retailers are using all kinds of data points to be able to predict our behavior. Mm-hmm. So would it be possible for me to say to you, well, you know, Nick, in the arena that you serve, I believe these will be the 50 properties that will transact next. And you're like, what? How did you figure that out? It's like, well, if you study the data points, maybe 20 data points for each property that is sold over the last three years, and you feed them into a regression analysis, you can determine that these three or four factors are predictive. If a property has these three or four factors, maybe there was a major capital improvement. Maybe it's been held by the same entity for more than seven years. Maybe it is multi-tenant. Maybe it is in a zip code that is primarily occupied by white collar uh, residents. Those, when you combine those factors into the algorithm, it says there's a 75% chance that property will sell soon. And so what I would just suggest to our audience is that if you have not sort of brushed up on what regression analysis is or what an algorithm is, even though it, you know, algorithm rays are, are casted down on your body every single day, um, then it would be worth it to learn more about that. And you can go to Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com. You can go to Khan Academy. There are a lot of places where you can take a one-hour kind of refresher of how this is going. And for those agents, those brokerages that have caused their databases to be accurate, 
those are perfect candidates for the onset of this tool. In other words, you don't have to wait for CoStar or Crexi or Realnext to figure it out. If you have accurate data in your own database, it's not too difficult to start to think about, wow, I wonder if the seeds of prediction are right here in this database. Now, you might have to, you, you may say, great, Blaine, I, know what, I now know what an algorithm is, but I'm gonna have to go to Upwork to find somebody to employ it for us. It's like, well, that'll cost you probably $75. <clears throat> I mean, would you pay me $75 if I could give you the list of the next, the properties that are most likely to transact? Would that, would that help you? Would that increase your market share? My, my point is that um, this opportunity to learn about what an algorithm is, how m- multiple regression analysis works, um, there's a great opportunity to learn about that now. And if you've been a keeper of data, if you've done a good job of causing the data in your own database to be accurate, you don't have to wait for Realnext or Crexi or Amazon to figure it out. You have the data and you, while you might have to hire somebody from Upwork to help you uh, apply the algorithm, you might be able to begin the process of uh, predicting what's going to happen in your marketplace. Here's a simple experiment. Try. Guess, make a list of what you of, of what you think the properties might be that would sell over the next year. You're going to have some bias built into those guesses, and that is the start of a more scientific, more mathematical process. And then call me back in a year and tell me how you did. And if you said, "Boy, I would like to be even more accurate for the next year," then the answer is going to be this predictive analytic idea, which is there are data factors, data points that point to, that suggest what's about to happen in the future. And you could take advantage of that. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, like you said, the the old method of, of the windshield tour is, is long gone. And this is kind of the natural extension of it, that there's there's so much data out there that uh, that if you can make use of it and, and make use of it in the right way, you're, you know, you're that that much ahead of your competition. Yeah, the wind, you know, it really, in today's world, the way you could almost say the transformation, Nick, has gone from what you can see to what you can't see. In other words, if we ride around in the car and we look at the outside of people's houses, you're like, yeah, well, that seems like a nice house. In general, these houses seem well kept up. But Nick, what if I said to you, but Nick, I can give you an x-ray of what every one of these people in this street spends via credit card data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You can't drive by the outside of somebody's house and see what they're spending money on. But that's but that's a known fact now. That's that's old news. We've had credit card data for years. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, and and a final question, uh, just on, on a more personal note, you're the second uh, in three generations of CCM designees. Uh, you know, what does that mean to you, knowing that the business that you've dedicated your life to is something of a family tradition right now where you can share it with your father and your son? Well, <laughs> My first reaction to that question is first that my uh, 87-year-old father, who lives in Colorado Springs uh, and became a designee in 1984, is healthy. <laughs> he's safe and he's healthy. Um, so I'm pretty darn happy about that. Yeah, that's a top priority. I talk to my father frequently. He's not active in the business anymore, but he's in good health. He can hear. He can move. He's he's uh, he's you know certainly uh, somebody you would want to model yourself after in terms of health and taking care of yourself. Um, my son is 29 years old. He lives about 40 minutes away in central Florida. And of course I interact with him even more frequently. And, um, I became a, I became a designee in 87. So my dad, 84, me, 87, my son, 2018. And that's the first time that's happened in history. We just kind of hit the, 
we just kind of hit the demographics perfectly because the Institute is what 50 plus years old now. And we, we took the better part of 40 years span to, um, to, to, to fit into that curve. But, um, uh, my dad was a leader in his day. I was very active uh, in local organization kind of in my day. I've been an instructor for the last 13 years, and I teach six or seven times a year. And now my son, is te- he's the president-elect of his local district. So um, it's been a lifelong thing for us. We're, we're huge fans. We're all bought in. Um, the CCIM uh, organization and the meaning of the designation, the, the networking that has created, the relationships that we've built uh, really have been um, life-changing for us and, and something that has always been a joy, not any kind of obligation. Um, to this day, I still enjoy uh, teaching CI 101 and for the very first time, people's eyes sort of pop open and go, oh, that's what cap rate is. And they can hardly wait to run back to their business because they've now been uh, armed with a powerful tool that they can immediately put into play. And I think for me, that might be the single biggest, um, the, the most magnetic element of CCIM to me, which is the, the information that we traffic in makes people better at what they do. It's immediately usable. It is street driven. In other words, the conversations that we're going to have that we're going to enable you to have are going to be the conversations that you have with your prospects, you know, in the old days when we went to coffee shops, but the co- the coffee shop conversations that enable you to be powerful, convey a value proposition and then be, um, be in control of your business because of the knowledge that you bring. That's pretty heady stuff. And it's been, it, it's, it's magnetic to me to this day. Yeah. Well, I think as, as far as, as street ready knowledge goes, um, I, I think you joining us today is, is going to give our listeners a lot of, of, uh, of tidbits they can use right away, whether it's in quarantine or whether it's, uh, it's, you know, the day after these are lifted and, and we're ready to get back to business. So, uh, so first of all, Blaine, you know, thank you so much for joining uh, CRE podcast today. Yeah, I've I've enjoyed it. As you can tell, I'm enthusiastic um, and remain so. And I appreciate the opportunity to interact with you and with the audience. All right. Great. Thank you, Blaine. Okay, Nick. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate.